the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If you're vaccinated, you can do all these things. Here are all these freedoms that you have. Because otherwise, people are going to go out and enjoy these freedoms anyway. Because otherwise, if everything is reopened, then what's the carrot going to be? What's the carrot going to be? Do you guys remember that audio? Classic, classic COVID audio. Um, Welcome back to the show, you guys. This is Morgan Zeggers. I appreciate you guys tuning back in. We're doing a unique episode today. I have a couple things we're going to talk about regarding current events, and then we're doing question and answer. You guys submitted a bunch of questions. I'll answer them. We'll see how that goes. Um, we'll see which ones I choose to answer. I'm literally just going to read off, and, and we'll see what ones I decide to answer, I guess. Um, first thing that caught my attention that I want to talk about is is Trump and his comments made at CPAC. CPAC was held last week. And then I just got back last night. I got back Saturday night in time to go to church this morning, which is awesome. I'm filming this on Sunday night. It'll go out Monday. Um, but I got to go to Cowboy Church at the Chip. Love going there in Arizona. And when I was gone, I was doing a few speeches, a few events, and my last thing that I was just at was in Austin. I was speaking at Patriot Academy, and the speaker at the dinner that they invited me to after the event was uh, the leader of the Convention of States movement. And so I want to talk to you guys about that, and then we'll get into the questions. But with that being said, let's get started. Okay, so I'm looking at an Epic Times article, and Trump spoke at CPAC. There's a, a few things that you could probably look up uh, for his most prominent statements during the speech, but something else from the event caught my attention that I wanted you guys to know about. Nothing crazy, but just thought it was good to note, because things are pretty frustrating right now, and it's good to remember that elections have consequences, and the elections have outcomes that will differ based on who we put in office. And so it's important to understand, especially during an era where politicians are insane and believe in force instead of choice, it's nice to hear some common sense. This is what I really appreciated. Epic Times headline says Trump reveals what he'll do for fired unvaccinated military service members if he wins in 2024. The article says former President Donald Trump said on August 7th that if he returns to the White House in 2025, he will rehire service members who lost their jobs by refusing to take the COVID-19 vaccine. He said, quote, I think it's a disgrace what happened to them when he was answering a reporter's question. He said, quote, I'd let them back. I'd give them back pay. So I would give them their back pay and I would let them back and they understand that they know it. Back pay is, quote, a common remedy for wage violations where, quote, the employer makes up the difference between what the employee was paid and what the amount he or she should have been paid, according to the Department of Labor. Trump's comments came weeks after the U.S. Army announced plans to cut more than 60,000 guards and reserve soldiers for refusing COVID-19 vaccines. The U.S. Army website 
read on July 1st a statement, quote, Soldiers who refuse the vaccination order without an approved or pending exemption request are subject to adverse administrative actions, including flags, bars to service, and official reprimands. More than 19,000 U.S. Army personnel have refused to take the COVID-19 vaccine as of July 4th, 2022, according to U.S. Army data. The Army approved a total, you guys get this, of 24 medical and 19 religious exemptions from the COVID-19 vaccine. 24 medical, 19 religious exemptions, 19,000 U.S. Army personnel refused to take the vaccine. So Trump is now saying he will rehire the service members that lost their jobs and he will give them back pay. The article later says the president hinted strongly at but stopped short of announcing a 2024 run. He said, quote, our country has never been in a position like this. We lost everything. We've lost energy independence. We've lost our prestige. We've lost every single thing you can lose, Trump said, noting the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which he previously called, quote, the greatest tactical mistake in history and the border crisis. He said so. We'll be making an announcement in the not-too-distant future. Now, I'm only saying that. I just wanted you guys to be aware of that, that we're going to start hearing proposals, whether it's from Trump or any other Republican candidates that start peeking their heads out from the sand. We're like, oh, maybe I'll run. Maybe I'll put it out there. We're going to start hearing their policy proposals. They better be good. I'll tell you that. In this era of politics, they better be good. And I'm liking what I'm seeing from this uh regarding vaccines, the military, from Donald Trump. So that's all I want to say on that. I just wanted you guys to be aware. Let's move on to the next thing. What was I doing in Austin? Like I said, I had a few events. I was just on the uh, road for three weeks. It was a lot. (laughs) Uh, I was on the road for three weeks, and I went to Austin as my last trip. I got to speak at Patriot Academy, put on by Rick Green and the other leaders of the organization. His wife was wonderful. Apparently she followed me on Instagram before I even met Rick. And then they put two and two together and then they found out, you know, we could bring her to come to the event and it would actually be uh, quite a good combination for what she does and what we do. And so I'm just really thankful that they invited me. But you guys, they've been doing this for almost 20 years now and it's just become a massive operation. What I was just at with them, they had, uh, I think, a little bit under 200 students that were participating in a biblical and constitutional education course of, of days and days and days at the um, Texas state capitol. And then they also participated in a mock government actually on the floor of the legislature in the Texas capitol. And it was very, very cool. So I got to watch them actually do the mock ca- uh, legislature mock government. And then I got to see uh, they had committee hearings and they had these fake election type things. It was super fun. Um, But I got to speak to them. And I kid you not, when I got the schedule, it said 945 was when my speech was going to end. So I I think I was supposed to start at 915 and at 945. And all the speeches that night ended up going over. And so I'm starting to talk to these, these students, high school students, and a few that were older. And it's almost 10 o'clock at night. And the students were some of the most energized and passionate students I've ever seen. One of the best crowds I've ever spoken to. 
And keep in mind, it's super late at night. Not only that, when I looked at the schedule, I saw, whoa, okay, so I'm speaking after nine o'clock. That's like past Grandma Morgan's bedtime. I needed a coffee. Those students had been up their call time where they had to be at their first event that day to begin lessons at the Capitol. Guess what time? 7.30 in the morning. So they had been working and studying and doing their mock government since 7.30 in the morning. All day were speakers and lessons on the Bible, Christianity, and our nation's founding and the Constitution. And then they had to hear me speak at almost 10 o'clock at night. And then, of course, you know, I went over and then they had me do this really awesome session called Iron Sharpens Iron. And it was the boys and girls would split. So it was just the girl session and it was just a a guy session. And the guys went and talked to the older guy mentors and speakers. And then I went with the women and they could ask more personal questions. And I got to say, I mean, we got out of there at like midnight and it was one of the best events I've ever been to. So I want you guys to look up Patriot Academy. And then the other thing that I want to talk about about this, actually one more thing. What really, what was crazy is, so keep in mind, 10 o'clock at night, it's getting super late, I'm speaking, but these students are writing down notes as I'm talking. Now that is so fun when you see the crowd doing that, but pretty much almost every student was at this really late night event that I was doing. And I noticed that they, they're all holding these, they're all holding these little things in their hands. And the next day, somebody explained what they were holding as they're also writing their notes with their other hand. Every student there was holding a a golf ball. And I was talking to Rick and some of the leaders of the organization that were putting this on for the students. And they said at the beginning of the week, when the students first get there, they are handed a golf ball. And the golf ball symbolizes their character. And it's intended to show them that you have to actively hold on to your character and keep your character at all times. So when you're given the golf ball, you are not allowed to let go of the golf ball. You keep the golf ball in your hands at all times throughout the week until you put your head on the pillow and it's time for you to go to bed. How insane is that? And it is supposed to intentionally remind them that you have to always monitor and keep your character. What's so interesting is as they were explaining it, they were like, it's so easy to lose your character. You could lose it in the bathroom. You could lose your character on the state legislature floor. You could lose your character in the classroom. You could lose your character in your bedroom. There are so many chances for you in the workplace, in your personal space, in social settings for you to lose your character. And so you always have to monitor it. Now, what's, what was funny is when you lose your character, you, you maybe like you drop the golf ball in accident, right? It happened a, a bunch. When you drop your golf ball, you had to get up in front of the whole group of students, almost 200 students at the podium and give a quote, an inspirational virtuous character grounded quote and then you would earn your golf ball back but if you did it three times you had to sing some veggie tales song about a hairbrush i can't remember what it was but it was something funny you had to sing like a child cartoon about where is your golf ball so the what they did there it was exactly what i love to see for young americans and they were so sweet they were so passionate and i'm just really thankful that they invited me now The speaker of the event at the end where they had the big dinner, 
was awesome. It was Mark Meckler. Now, if you guys don't know about Mark Meckler, he is the leader of the Movement for the Convention of States. I wish I could see you guys and and get a read on how many of you even know what the Convention of States really is. But basically the founders, when they were writing our government, they put something in there for us to use if it became absolutely necessary. And it was called the Convention of States. And Mark Meckler and a lot of other people believe it's time. The Convention of States is a very complicated, it's simple, but it's also a very complicated issue. There's conservatives that say, no, 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 we shouldn't be doing this right now. And they have, you know, they make good points. I've heard some people make the point of, a convention of states is too dangerous because you never know what you're going to get out of this. That is that is opening a can of worms we don't want to deal with. We are not an enlightened public right now, and mistakes would be made that are detrimental. Others say, there's nothing else we can do. We need a convention of states. It's that bad that we need it now. So that being said, I, I wanted to bring this up on the show and invite you guys to join me on a little research session of this. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be looking into it They have at conventionofstates.com an Article 5 pocket guide. And it basically explains, it's a one-stop shop for everything about Article 5, the Convention of States, and what we would need to know if we were making a decision of if we support it or not. But I find the concept fascinating. And I'm bringing this up partly because I just saw Mark speak, but also because it's in the mainstream media now, because it's gaining ground. So let me explain this a little more. The article that I'm looking at right now is from conventionofstates.com, and it says success of convention of states causes threatened progressives to begin mainstream attacks. It says the left is so scared of an Article 5 convention of states that they're attempting and failing to raise alarm on the convention of states movement, which is halfway to convening a convention. Hit pieces on Convention of States are in full force this week as power-hungry elitists begin to realize an Article con- an Article 5 convention is a tangible solution that will permanently take power away from both Republicans and Democrats ingrained in Washington politics. Here's where we get the specifics, you guys. The Convention of States project has been diligently working towards an Article 5 convention, with 19 so far of the 34 required states already passing the COS resolution. However, the mainstream media is only just beginning to recognize the movement as a result of exponential momentum. The COS team could not be more excited to use this so-called hit as an opportunity to spread the message to millions of more patriotic, freedom-loving Americans. So most recently, Business Insider reported on COS this week in a piece titled Republicans' Next Big Play is to scare the hell out of Washington by rewriting the Constitution, and they're willing to play the long game. COS says that these attempted hit pieces came just months before the midterm elections, when some state legislatures could win over an adequate number of pro-COS representatives to pass the resolution and help bring us closer to 34 states. So let's let's pause here to bring a convention of states where you could change the constitution at the convention instead of going through the required amendment process. That's what this would be. Like I said, it could be a can of worms because a lot of things could happen at this that are both good and bad. If you get 34 states to sign on to this, 
a convention will be called where the Constitution can be directly changed. That's what they're proposing here. There are currently 19 states in the country that have signed on to this, and they only need 15 more to bring a convention. That's kind of insane. And so what they're saying is these attacks on the concept are coming because we're getting close to a midterm election where the states that are kind of in between or maybe haven't, you know, they aren't looking like they would have voted, but they could be flipped to vote in favor of a convention. That's coming up in 2022 November. So maybe that's why we're seeing bad press on this right now. So Mark Meckler, like I said, the speaker at the dinner for Patriot Academy He's laughing at this, and he said, quote, There's a statement of absolute horror that Congress couldn't control it, the president couldn't control it, and the courts couldn't control it. Oh my gosh, absolute horror, he said mockingly. I literally saw that article. It's a hit piece against us, and I thought, this is fantastic. So with all this being said, I, I again, I want you guys to go to Convention of States and start looking into this with me, because I just don't know enough about it yet to really give my opinion on it. And I hear both sides of this, but I am leaning in favor of it. It says, why call a convention of the states, their website says. Simple, to bring power back to the states and the people where it belongs. Unelected bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. shouldn't be allowed to make sweeping decisions that impact millions of Americans, but right now they do. So it all boils down to one question. Who do you think should decide what's best for you and your family? You or the feds? We'd vote for the American people every single time. Then the article says, what's a convention of states anyways? Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution gives states the power to call a convention of states to propose amendments. It takes 34 states to call the convention and 38 to ratify any amendments that are proposed. Our convention would only allow the states to discuss amendments that, quote, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, impose fiscal restraints, and place term limits on officials. There's a question on the site. Is it safe? Absolutely. Article 5 includes numerous safeguards that protect the U.S. Constitution and ensure that only widely approved amendments are adopted. The strongest safeguard? Any amendment proposed by the convention goes through the exact same ratification process as amendments proposed by Congress. It must be approved by 38 states. That means if only 13 states vote no, the answer is no. It doesn't get much safer than that. Okay, so there's some good checks and balances. So this is a good answer if people say that it's a little dangerous. Now it says, are you making any progress? And there's a map. There's a map on the site. This is kind of wild. I didn't realize that this had so much ground that they've covered. Let's see what states support it. North Dakota passed it. Wisconsin. Indiana. Nebraska. Utah. Arizona, Alaska, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, and West Virginia. They've all passed COS resolutions. Now this is cool. Passed in one chamber, we have so far New Mexico, South Dakota, Iowa, Virginia, North Carolina, and New Hampshire. And then when it talks about progress that could be made this year in 2022, we have these following states with active legislation, Wyoming, Colorado, Kansas, Illinois, Kentucky, Ohio, 
Michigan, New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Massachusetts, Vermont, and Maine. Oh, and Hawaii. (laughs) Okay. So I hope that helps if you're in those states and you're interested in something like this. Now it says, who's behind this? The American people were funded by thousands of everyday patriots who have committed their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor to protecting liberty for future generations. Very interesting. This is fantastic. Hmm. Oh, interesting, interesting. Okay. And then here's the endorsements that it has. Mark Levin. Mark Levin said, I have wholeheartedly endorsed the Convention of States project. I serve on its legal board of reference because they propose a solution as big as the problem. And they are promoting state applications for a convention for the purpose of limiting the scope, power, and jurisdiction of the federal government. That's what needs to be done. Ron DeSantis has endorsed this, saying, I've spent years fighting the D.C. swamp. I know the states need to use Article 5 to take power away from D.C. Dave Rubin, Mark Meadows, Sean Hannity, Rick Santorum, Rick Green, who leads Patriot Academy, Governor Greg Abbott, Senator Rand Paul, Ben Shapiro, Marco Rubio, Mike Huckabee, Pete Hegseth, Ben Carson, Chip Roy, Charlie. Okay. Hmm. Okay. You guys, this is interesting. Um, I definitely recommend going again to conventionofstates.com, and we'll, we'll continue to look into this one. With that being said, let's get into the questions. I have literally just printed out the list that uh, has been submitted so far, and we'll see how many we can answer before the show ends. Um, but let's start with number one. Okay, Lily says, what do you do when politics becomes depressing? I honestly am, am energized by it every single day. And one quote from Andrew Breitbart that I really love, it's in his book, Righteous Indignation. I'm going to butcher this. I can't remember it. But it was something along the lines of like, listen, when you're fighting the good fight and when you have the American people on your side and they have your back because you're doing something that is great and righteous and fundamentally good for the future, it's fun. It's fun, you guys. And so when we look at what they're talking about these days, the policies that they're pushing, the crazy things they're saying, especially when it comes to our kids, the stuff that they want to do to kids, that to me is all the energy and the push that I need, even when they're behaving in a depraved manner. It only makes me want to be harder on this. Um, Liana, what is your workout slash diet routine? Um, I don't want to get into details on that, but I will say, you guys, I, I just... I like to eat whole foods. I always look at the labels. I don't eat processed food. And when I do now, like if I'm at the airport and I'm really hungry, (laughs) I was at the airport on one of these trips in the last three weeks where I was on the road for a long time. And I just got really hungry and there was really no restaurants open. So I got those white cheddar Cheez-Its. My stomach hurts so bad because I've gotten so used to just not eating that kind of crap. And then when you go back to it, it's like, wow, my body is really not used to Um, me eating these things anymore. And I think it just says so much of how much better you feel when you aren't consuming that kind of stuff. It's not me being like a health nut or anything. It's just once you start to open your mind to the fact that this food didn't even exist until it was created in a factory a handful of decades ago, and then now all of a sudden it's an everyday part of our diet, it really is kind of disturbing. And so that was an easy change for me to make in my diet, especially once I started living alone and Um, you know, got out of college and got my own, my own place and stuff. And then as for working out, I like to go on hikes and runs. It's too hot for me. I'm in Arizona right now. I've been in here for the last year and it's just hot in the mornings. And so I don't do that anymore. I just go to the gym and then I love going to bar classes. It's a secret of mine. Love the bar classes. 
Mr. Svez asked if I'll have guests on in the future. Yes, I've been having Allie, Allison Rogers um, from my nonprofit, the Freedom Records, the interviews with the communism survivors. I've been having her on. I, I wonder, do you guys like that? Do you like when I have guests? I had John Root on. And I like having guests. I like the discussions. Um, let me know if you like that or not, or if you like me going through just rapid fire the current events. Judd asked, what was the earliest age you remember being passionate about patriotism? Ooh, I get this question a lot because a lot of people wonder how I turned out like this and being more conservative at a young age. My dad and my mom always included me in learning about history. And so I remember like middle school and high school, my dad would always remember when you could record things on the TV and that was like a new concept. We would always look forward to recording the history channel documentaries like the ones on world war one and world war two and stuff we would always record those and then watch them together i always remember that and then when i was in high school because my dad's a colonel and he just retired because he was in the military because he served i was very passionate about veteran services and so i joined the vfw ladies auxiliary in high school and um, i've just always had a passion around these things probably because of what my parents uh, connected me to and brought me into. But I also remember uh, when I was in high school and I was leaning more into this, I also loved that show Drunk History. I love any kind of history stuff. It's super fun to me. Um, CARC81 asked, do you believe that Biden will finish his term? Um, honestly, you never know these days. I have... It could be anything. I It could... Anything could literally happen right now. I have no idea what's about to happen with these guys. They might have him just pass away from some sickness or some old age thing, or maybe they use the 25th Amendment against him, or maybe they just run somebody else after his first term. Who knows? I honestly believe anything could happen of all the options. I will say, though, people that think Kamala would be any better or anybody else would be any better. No, no, no. What we're seeing with Biden right now, those are the policies that the entire left basically believes in at this point. Those are the policies that we would get no matter who's in office, because with Biden, it's just a bunch of woke staffers and people that are in the establishment that are corrupt, that believe in these woke, crazy policies. They're just using him as a puppet and they're shoving through the policies that that entire political side currently believes in. So it's not going to get any better no matter who is in charge. It's just one tiny little position at this point, And D.C. is out of control. Uh, Seamus asked, how do we win against today's version of the cultural revolution? Good question, Seamus. Fantastic question. I do believe we're going through an American cultural revolution. When it comes to policy, we need to do a better job protecting our kids. That means whatever this crazy woke stuff they're pushing on, it needs to end and it needs to end with actual political policy, legislative leadership and executive leadership. It also means paying attention to what our kids are taught if they are indoctrinated. So the curriculum, the school options that they have, the people, the adults that are allowed to be with them and be uh, turned into authority voices in their lives. What's happening there? We need to have a greater hand on what they are doing with our kids. That is everything to me. The other step is not necessarily legislative. It's not necessarily a political thing that can be done. It's a cultural thing. That's, that's why the cultural revolution, if we change culture, if we change the day-to-day -day decisions that people are carrying out in their own lives, I think we'd have a better chance at fixing this country. I don't think anything we do to save this country is going to, be short term. It has to be generational. And so it starts with us. It starts with how we raise our kids. 
It starts with the kind of values, the kind of skills, the kind of ideas that we pass down to them generationally. And not only that, but when we talk about culture and when we carry out these things in our own lives, I really hope that via peer-to-peer communication and peer rationale, which has been proven to be the most effective way to reach a young person with an opposing viewpoint, I hope that we can inspire our peers who are leaning left or who have been just completely indoctrinated by the disgusting culture these days that tells them to not be excited about the future steps in life, to live it up until you're 30 and then, yeah, sure, settle down or whatever, to not be excited about having kids, all this kind of stuff. I hope that we can inspire them by showing them that there is a better way to do life than what the current culture and the current radical left, the woke left, are telling them to embrace. I really do think that that will have a positive impact, and the studies prove it. It's a study from Michigan State University. The term is called peer rationale, and it's the idea that peer-to-peer communication and especially um, living and inspiring via action, that can be the most impactful thing to do to change a young person's heart and mind. So I think we're capable of it. Now, let's see. The Broby says... Since you're a country lady, do you like firearms? What's your favorite EDC or your favorite to shoot? Uh, So my everyday carry is a Glock 43X. I also have a SIG. To be honest, I like the Glock 43X as my everyday carry after trying both out. And I like the way the Glock fits my tiny little hand. Um, I have... Usually when I'm carrying it, I'll have an appendix in the waistband holster and I wear it with jeans and a belt. But I also have talked to you guys about and posted online the other things that I've done. So I have a purse that has a sewn-in holster specifically for the Glock 43X. I like to carry that around if I'm doing like a fancier event and I have to wear a dress or there's other things that you could do. But I really do try and be transparent for all the young women out there that follow me to show them that it's really possible and normal to be a young woman that conceal carries. Now, what I'm really loving these days is the new addition that I have to my home, and it's the Vara Safety Reach 2S. And I've talked to you guys about this in previous episodes, but the Reach 2S is a combination, you guys, between a holster and a safe. So it's a hybrid, and it looks like a metal sleek holster, but it keeps my gun locked and secure. So you mount it next to your bed or in your vehicle. I have one in each, and I I just got one as well for my Forerunner, and I'm going to show you guys that on social media soon because it's really cool. But I keep my mounted to my bed, and all you literally have to do is you reach down. It's mounted next to your bed or in your vehicle. You grab your gun as if you're grabbing it from the holster as usual, but your thumb naturally lines up with a fingerprint sensor on the safe and then it only unlocks for authorized fingers authorized people and it's a biometric sensor so it's super safe it's super secure it's great for parents that have kids in the home it's great if you need to in your situation at home have it locked and safe and secure at all times um but yeah you guys this is the new addition to my home i'm really really liking it i try to be transparent about the items that i use and then especially i'm really trying to promote this vara safety thing because i just like the team a lot they are from my home area near saratoga new york and so when i found that out it just made the whole thing way cooler and to me i just love the concept especially as i'm getting into that older age where hopefully i have kids soon have families my friends have kids i just want to have a really safe but quick option that i can get to my firearm if i needed to um so this was a game changer as soon as i grab my gun it unlocks immediately i'm already set up with proper grip it eliminates all the extra steps 
with other gun safes that you usually have that kind of take up valuable time. So then all I have to do to secure the gun back in is literally just reholster it and then push down the lock. So it's by far the fastest way to get my gun and it checks all the boxes for safety, security, reliability. Again, the company is Vara Safety. And so it's uh, Vara, V-A-R-A, safety.com. The one that I have is the Reach 2S. So I truly believe it's a worthy investment. If you go and get one, I recommend it being in everybody home and if you can in your car too but um next question uh bravo says what would you say is your biggest personal change in the last five years um okay i guess two things would probably be my faith and how christianity is truly uh fundamental for me it's the foundation of my day it's the foundation of all my decisions all my actions and all of my future planning as well. And so it's just become to me everything. And it used to not be that way. I just didn't grow up in a church or in a religious family, in a Christian family, really. And so once I learned about all these things and once I really entered that journey myself, I said, wow. (laughs) And then the other thing would probably be my independence in the sense that I like to learn how to do everything in my life. I don't like to not know how to do things. I don't like to be dependent. I mean, I think it's kind of funny. I started a nonprofit called Young Americans Against Socialism, and I interview survivors from socialist and communist country I have for four years now. And the whole point of why socialism is bad is because it gives the government economic and financial control over the people because they take control of the economy, of the business, of the things that are exchanged in a society, and they become the only producer and provider of those things and so what do you know that dependency on the government puts the people in a very dangerous position where they have to comply with new government expectations and demands in order to get the basic necessities to live on a day-to-day basis and so that idea of dependency is dangerous with government but i've also just grown personally to see that dependency in any way is not good so I like to learn how to do all the things that are necessary in my home, with my vehicle, with anything that I'm trying to do. I just truly like to learn and have all the skills possible so that I'm an asset in all the ways. And like I remember, I remember when I first got my home in Texas, I still had so much to learn and I've learned a lot of lessons since then. But like, for example, the front door broke, the front door lock broke on my my house and I, I pretty handy, but I just did not know how to fix that lock. And so if you're a young woman and I, I lived alone when I, I had that first house, now I rent it out, but I'm, I'm a ha- alone in that house and I couldn't fix the lock. And so I had to really go back and forth between like, okay, so now I have to hire a handyman. I didn't know many people in town. I probably could have bothered Owen, but at the time I didn't think about that. And I'm like, I've got to call a stranger on the internet and ask them to come fix my lock. So then admit that my lock on my front door isn't working to the stranger, invite them into my home and then put myself in a really compromising position. And so for a couple of weeks, I was just opening my garage door and leaving the house in that way. And even that uh, experience was like, oh, 
I should know how to do something like that. I should know how to fix that dang door. And then uh, it, it was just those little moments like that, especially when you first get that major responsibility of taking care of your own property and stuff. You learn what you don't know. <laughs> and then at the same time, there's just, you start to realize like, oh, there's probably a lot of things that I don't even know that I don't know. So it's a good experience, but I just have a passion for it now. And every week I actually just buy more things to build on my self-sufficiency. And so I've got uh, quite a killer stockpile of things, but I'm not even going to give you the details because I don't like to share that kind of stuff on the internet. Uh, Cassie asked, where do you get all your beautiful dresses? Uh, thank you very much. I mean, I found it fascinating. That's actually the, the most popular question I really get or about the long dresses that I wear. I, I do wear long dresses. It's not necessarily me being, uh, super pious in that way it's not me saying oh i will only wear long dresses and i can only show my ankles and all these things but i will say like modest is hottest <laughs> it's not that i started that true to be honest i'm short and at my body type i just truly feel uh pretty and I feel really nice when I wear these long dresses. I think it fits my body type. And so I just started buying more and more of them when I would buy new clothes instead of necessarily like I'm five feet tall. And so I just think like when I wear tiny little short dresses, it just really cuts my body weird. And so I just grew to enjoy the longer dresses. But then as I was wearing them, I was like, wow, I actually do feel so much nicer when I'm covered up and when I feel uh, and when I look more modest. And so it's become something that's really like the foundation of my wardrobe lately. I really like it and I'm really f glad to see that so many other people like it too. And in the comments, everybody's so kind about it because you really just don't see that kind of stuff anymore. Um, someone else, actually, I'm looking at this question right down below. Somebody asked, how can you encourage young women to also dress more modestly like your outfits? And again, I didn't start out just trying to be more modest. It just it, I enjoyed the kind of dress and then and I'm like, wait, modest is hottest. But I would say that for a long time, when you went into Forever 21 and American Eagle and all these stores that high schoolers are supposed to be shopping at, right? They are wildly inappropriate. I mean, even the work sections of, uh, you know, young women's clothing stores are wildly inappropriate that you should not be wearing them in the workplace and you should not be wearing them really at all if you ask me but it's really hard to find cute clothing that is modest and now we're seeing the rise of more and more beautiful feminine classic um women's clothing companies and so i i try and promote them as i can i try and tag them when i wear the dresses but just some of them you guys first of all if you're definitely balling on a budget like i always am Oh, I love balling on a budget. TJ Maxx has a ton of longer dresses. Just make sure you're trying not to get any ones that were made in communist China. Um, that's though, literally TJ Maxx. If you look at my whiteboard videos and stuff and I'm in a long dress, there's a good chance that dress is from TJ Maxx. So just go into your local TJ Maxx and you'll probably find some pretty maxi dresses. That being said, my favorite ones, if you're trying to, you know, treat yourself or if you're a boy or a man trying to treat a woman to a pretty dress, here are some of them. Florence Adams. Ivy City Co., Ivy City Company, Boot Barn, really cute, Madewell, Petal and Pup, and Shop Stevie. I'll say them again. Florence Adams, Ivy City Company, Shop Stevie, Boot Barn, Madewell, Petal and Pup. Those are what I can think of right now of my where my dresses are from. Monty asked, will you ever make an appearance in Boston? Actually, yes, I used to live there. I used to live in Boston, and I lived in Seaport 
in a tiny little expensive apartment. I, it was ridiculous. It was when I had my first adult job right after college. And I would walk across the Boston Harbor Bridge, if you guys know what I'm talking about, and it would play the little um, flute music, little, I, can't, I don't even know the the name of the instrument, but it would play the little Revolutionary War music at the place of the Boston Tea Party as I walked by it on the bridge over the Boston Harbor every day to the financial district where I went to work. And it was a fun time. I mean, I would run the um, Freedom Trail, is that what it was called? I would run that all the time and and just explore. And again, you guys, I love history. So I went to college in Washington, D.C., and then I went right after college to Boston uh, for my first you know, my first apartment and my first big girl job and all that stuff. So I, I really love getting the most out of wherever I live. But I, I actually broke my lease early in Boston because I disliked it so much. Not because I disliked Boston, but because I disliked the city life and the corporate job. Wait, and that makes it even funnier because I'm looking right now and somebody asked, what did you do in order to get out of your, out of your corporate job trying to do the same here? Britty asked that. Brit Britty? Okay, she asked that. Um, so yes, that was in Boston. I started the nonprofit where I interview survivors of communism when I was working as an assistant media buyer at an advertising company in Boston. Um, I did not think it would become its own job. I did not think it would become something big enough to, to actually like leave my, my normal nine-to-five job. And so I would just leave my job after my work hours, walk home, and then at night, I would spend a few hours making a website, making content, posting it, and really just working after I maybe had dinner or something pretty late into the night, working on what I considered my passion project. And then um, I remember I started calling into radio stations, and I got C3 status for my nonprofit. I mean, I don't know what you're trying to do with your um, other work to get out of your job, but I remember I just needed funds to try and do bigger projects and more interviews and, and other things for the nonprofit. So I got C3 status. I was calling into radio stations asking for donations from the listeners. I was getting $5, $10 donations from all these different people. Then I got invited onto the Glenn Beck radio station, and that was huge for me. And then just one after another, I was saying yes to anything. And so I remember I did like a, a speech. I was living in Boston, remember? And so I got invited to like a county GOP Thing in the middle of Massachusetts. So I drove out to that. I spoke to that. The crowd was in somebody's backyard. I think there was like a hundred people in it. I don't even remember, but I was saying yes to anything. And eventually it just got me opportunity after opportunity. And the more you say yes to all of these radio stations, the more you say yes to the smaller local events, the more people can see, oh, this young person is commentating on uh, socialism and, and on her generation and on the issues of young people in America and education. Let's have her on to blah, blah, blah to talk about this issue relating to that. And so um, probably a couple months into it, I ended up getting invited onto Fox News, Fox and Friends, where I got to talk about the nonprofit. They asked me to share the link um, to the website, and the donations were insane from that day. So it really was just the slow growth. And then once it became time for me where I just really felt like I needed to go full force in the nonprofit because it was taking off in a, a solid way, I gave my two weeks at the job. And um, it was definitely nerve-wracking, but... Uh, I guess my, my short answer there would be 
work your job to pay your bills and then go home and spend hours doing the passion project of what you would like to end up doing full-time in the future. Uh, just a couple more, you guys. Super Ryan asked, where were you born? New York. Uh, somebody asked, how tall am I? Five feet tall. And last one, what do you want your professional life to look like 20 years from now? So I'm 25. 20 years from now, I'd be 45. Um, I... I don't want to answer and put myself in a box or anything, but I always keep things really open in terms of what I'm willing to do in the future. Um, I do know, though, that I have this passion for creating a ballerina farm-esque property. If you don't know ballerina farm, look them up, my dream. Um, I do, no matter what, want to achieve a big family with a piece of property that the whole family thrives on and spends a lot of time outdoors with and interacts and learns. And it's a homeschool environment. The kids are very involved in the keeping and the maintaining of the property. And it's not like a chore to them. They, they are learning and constantly engaged in a fun way because it's not a chore. Again, it's a lifestyle. And I truly imagine myself homeschooling them and then taking those lessons in that structure that I build for my kids and then doing something more with that structure in the future. And I don't want to say too much on that, but like that would be fantastic to me. And then having a positive impact in how we educate and raise Americans for the future seems fantastic to me. I believe the only way to fix the country is generationally. It will take 50 years, I believe at least. That's multiple generations. So I'm, I'm in it for the long haul, but, um, thanks you guys for listening to this. I really appreciate it. Again, if you want to get a, if you want to match me, you can get the reach to S at varasafety.com. Get one for your home. Cause I'm really liking mine. And I just think it's going to make more home safe. I hate seeing the horrible stories about what can happen sometimes, even with conservative, uh, responsible family members who think that they've got it all under control with the firearms in the home. This truly is just, if you're looking for a solution, I'm just thankful that Vara Safety came up with this. So go to Vara Safety, V-A-R-A safety.com and get one for your home and your car. Um, you guys, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I'll see you next time. And I'll, if you like this, I'll answer more questions in the future. <laughs> All right, have a good week. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.